How are you guys doing today? Good? Excellent, very good. Um, I love when Mark and Laura ask us to come and share the word uh, with you guys. We really love you. And, um, you know, I bring a message from our staff and uh, the people in Cancun, because I don't know if you know this, but um, your love, your support, your generosity were crucial in allowing our campus to finish the building, which is now open. Thank you, guys. We love you very much. Yes. That was truly a miracle. Um, you know, we often talk to you about uh, God's plan for you, you know, what's known as the will of God for yourself, for you personally. And um, what God wants is for you to discern what that plan is and then to live for that plan because uh, on that depends your fullness, your happiness, and His glory. Now, um, this is hard for us because in order for you to discern God's plan, uh, you need obedience. So you need to truly be living for him. And, and it is hard because um, a lot of things around us distract us from that. You know, and when, when you have those moments of truth, when, when, when you're facing choices and you know what you want to do and you know what God wants you to do, usually there is a battle inside of us. There is a struggle, you know. And, and oftentimes we end up asking ourselves, is, is it worth it? Is it really worth living this life? Is it really true that I'm going to be happier if I, if I follow this path? So what I want to do is, um, today I want to talk about why is it so important for you to live for what matters most. Uh, next week I'm going to have the privilege of talking to you again, and we're going to be talking about why is it so hard and what can we do about it. But today I want you to understand clearly why is it so important for you to truly live for what matters most, okay? So I would like to pray for us and then we'll dive into this subject. Um, Father, I just thank you so much for your love. Thank you for purchasing our lives for you. Uh, we would love to live just for you, Father. And I know, Father, that for that to happen, we need to open our eyes to certain things and we need you to do that, to open our spiritual eyes. So I'm asking you for a miracle this morning, Father. Open our eyes, touch our hearts, changes from the inside out so that we may live the life that you want, want for us to live. Uh, please, you guide us through this time. We place ourselves completely in your hands, in the beautiful name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. So, kids are going back to school next week. Is that a fact here? Yeah? <laughs> you know who's excited, right? <laughs> The parents are like, yes, I know, I know. Um, I don't know what your experience was with school when you were a kid, a teenager. Uh, for me, you know, school, especially for the first about 10 years of my student life, was torture, was horrible. And I'll tell you why, I have ADD. I have very hard time, you know, paying attention for long periods of time. So to me, it seemed like um, all the students knew things that I didn't know. You know, like, I, I, would, I was having a hard time paying attention, so they would be teaching things, and I would be daydreaming, and then they would ask things, and everyone would raise their hands, and I didn't know what they were talking about. So it felt to me like in the afternoons, they gathered all the students and told them things, you know, when I wasn't there, and then in school, everybody knew something, and I didn't, you know, it was horrible, you know. Uh, but the worst part uh, for me 
was the test. You know, when I would come to school and like, there's a test. I'm like, there's a test? You know, and I didn't know. And I didn't know what they were going to ask in that test. So it was terrifying for me when the test came because I had no idea what they were going to be asking. Anyone identifies with that or am I the only crazy? Okay, good. I feel better. All right. But on top of that, you know, I realized uh, after a certain number of years that there were certain teachers that were really horrible people because what they wanted was to fail you. You know, I had this one teacher that on the first day of, of the school year, he walked into the classroom and said, more than 50% of you are not going to pass this class. You're going to fail. You know, it seemed to me that he tried to make his tests harder than the other teachers would. Sometimes he would even put questions there that, on subjects he didn't teach us. And he would blame it on us. He would say, like, yeah, I couldn't go fast enough. We didn't get to that subject. You should have studied it, you know. I disliked him so much because I thought, this guy is against me. You know, he's not for me. He doesn't want me to do well. He wants me to fail. But my favorite teachers, it's not so much that they wanted me to just get a good grade for free, but that they were really concerned at pointing the things that really matter. You know, that while they were teaching, they would say, this may be on the test. Study this, you know, or they will give you a study guide and say, study these things because I will be asking them. He made me feel like he was for me. You know, they make you feel like they want you to do well. Well, I have a good news for you. Our, our God is that type of teacher. He wants you to do well. He wants you to pass your final test. He gives us a study guide. You know, isn't that wonderful? I mean, I know you're saying like, yeah, but there's a test. You know? <laughs> really? <laughs> Well, you know, the Bible says that there, there, there is going to be a test. The Bible calls them judgments. But, you know, Hebrews uh, chapter 9 says that man is appointed to die once and then face judgment. You know, th those are the tests. One, one day you and I are going to be face to face with God and he's going to test us. He's going to judge us. And the question is, uh, are you prepared? Are you prepared for that day when God is going to analyze everything? And test you. Now, if you're thinking, I don't know if I'm prepared. I don't know, you know, what's going to be on that test. Well, now you know how I felt in school. But the good news is this. Um, if you feel that you're not prepared, you know what, uh, what our job is when we come to preach the word of God to you? We're supposed to be your spiritual tutors. We're supposed to help you prepare for those tests. And, and I don't know if you're concerned with it. I mean, would you like to get an A on that test that day? You know, uh, a lot of people uh, are not very concerned with that, but I think you should be very concerned because on that day, there are not going to be any excuses. See, that's not going to be a pop quiz. It's not going to be a surprise test. They're going to tell us about it in the Bible more than once. As a matter of fact, um, you know, there is something that I found out in the Bible uh, after a certain time of studying this subject that surprised me. I don't know if you know this, but there's not going to be just one test. There's going to be two of them. I didn't know. You know, when I finally realized, I was like, there's going to be two? Did you know that? That there's going to be two tests? Well, it's irrelevant because now you do. I just told you, okay? So what we're going to do is we're going to work together and we're going to be prepared for both tests, okay? So uh, the first test or the first judgment 
It's found in Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. Uh, I'm going to be reading verses 11 through 15, even though in your program you only have the key verse, which is 15, but you can follow me on the screen, okay? It reads like this. It says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. I know this is a hard test text. I know this is harsh, and, and I can guarantee you that this is going to be an uplifting message, but um, <laughs> I want you to know this. See, you need to understand this. See, the good news are not good news unless you understand what the bad news can be. Okay, so, and, and these are the bad news. This is the first test. It is called, as you see in your program, the Great White Throne Judgment. Okay, and there's a specific subject for each one of these tests. The subject for this first test is your sins. See, this test has everything to do with our sins. So what we have to do now is we have to read in the Bible what the Bible says about our sins. So we understand what this test is about and what's going to happen when we face it. See, the first thing you need to know is in Romans 3.23, the apostle Paul writes to the Romans and says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, all have sinned. That means you and I, everyone sitting in this room, we are all sinners. We all have sinned, and you have to acknowledge that. You have to be aware of the fact that you are a sinner. You don't sin sometimes. You are a sinner, okay? And, 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 and if you don't realize that, if you don't accept that, you're never going to rejoice in what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you. Because you don't think that he did that much. But you are a sinner. And it says that you fall short of the glory of God. Which means we can never be in his presence. We are short of his glory. We cannot enjoy of his glory because we are sinners. Now on top of that, Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. See, he's talking there about not physical death, but spiritual death. The second, that's the one that Revelation 20 is talking about. You know, the wages of sin is we are going to be separated from God in eternity. See, this fact broke God's heart to such an extent that the Bible says that him, knowing that we couldn't come to him to solve this problem, he came to us. This is what we celebrate in Christmas every year. You know, that he came to us, that God sent his son to be born as a baby and then he went on to live a perfect life, which means he was tempted in every way. The same way that you're tempted, he was tempted, but he never once sinned. And then one day, voluntarily, he gave up his life for us. He went to die on the cross. You know, the cross was the symbol at the time, the, the biggest symbol of torture, of shame. And he was willing to go and die there for you and I. You know, so the Lamb of God, perfect in every way. He was cruelly tortured physically. But you know, the worst part of what happened at the cross was not the physical part. It was the spiritual part. Because the Bible says in Isaiah that uh, God the Father poured into him all of our iniquities. 
See, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.21 explains it like this. He says, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus, the perfect lamb of God who never sinned, was treated as the worst sinner ever for us. And from that cross, the last words that he said were this, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. What was finished? Sin was finished. Sin was over. See, we have three words. It is finished, but in Greek it's just one word. Tetelestai. You know what that means? It means paid in full. It's what they would write in an invoice when it was fully paid. So Jesus was saying, paid in full. I already paid for all the sins. But you have to realize this. See, when he said those words, the people that were there do not feel the same way that we feel today. Because today you hear those words and you go like, yes, hallelujah. But the guys that were there that day were like, oh, no. Our hope just died. The, the, the guy that we thought was the Messiah that was coming to save us, he just died at the cross. But on the third day, just as he had promised, you know, he rose from among the dead. And when he rose from among the dead, the message that he was sending to all of us was, I am who I said I was, and therefore, there's a way to fix your sin problem because I just fixed it. And if you are going to put your faith in me, you're going to be with me for eternity with the Father. So you see what that means? In that first test, if you believe in Jesus, if you believe that he lived that perfect life, if you believe that he died on the cross for you, and you place your faith in him and you believe that he rose from among the dead and he's sitting right next to the Father right now, guess what? You don't even have to take that test. The first test, he took it for us. Says your program, if you have put your faith in Jesus, he already took the first test for you. See, Jesus took the test and he got a perfect score. You don't have to take it anymore because he imputes into you his perfect score. And this is why it is so important that you understand these things and you truly place your faith in Jesus alone. Because if you don't, you're going to have to, you're going to present that test. You're going to take that test. And if you take that test yourself, I can tell you now, you're going to fail. Because you would need perfection. And only Jesus was perfect. So we're free of the first test. But there's a second test, and this is the one that I didn't know about. Uh, or sometimes I read through it, but I kind of close my eyes to it, and I just focus on the first one because it was really nice to know that I had passed already, you know. Uh, but there is a second one. It is called the judgment seat of Christ, and it is found in 2 Corinthians, uh, Corinthians 5.10. It reads like this. It says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So the subject of this second test has nothing to do with your sins. It had to do with your works, with the things that you did while you were alive. By the time you get there, you won't be alive anymore, and it's going to have to do with what you did while you were alive. Now, it is crucially important that you do not confuse the two tests. Because a lot of people confuse these two tests, and they want to pass one test with the subject of the other one, and it doesn't work, and they live exhausting lives trying to pass the first test with the subject of the second one. See, they're very different. The Apostle Paul differentiates them very clearly in Ephesians chapter 2. 
verses 8 to 10. Verses 8 and 9, we'll talk about the first test. It reads like this, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, clearly not by works, that's the second test, not by works, so that no one can boast. So what he's saying there is like, you were saved or you passed that test by grace, through faith placed in Jesus Christ. No one can boast. You can ne will never be able to get there and say, I, I, I have to be able to get in because I did anything. No one can boast. He took the test. Now, those two verses are telling us how were we saved. Verse 10 is going to tell us what were we saved for. Verse 10 says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we are supposed to do good works, specific works, that God had planned for us from the beginning of time. So we have to do this, okay? So we, we were saved by grace, not by works, but once you were saved, says your program, your life has a divine and eternal purpose. There is a purpose for you. God has a job for you. There is a calling for you to do certain things for his kingdom here on earth. See, you were not saved just so you can enjoy life now. You can just like, okay, I passed the test, relax. No. See, you have a superior purpose, and God saved you for that purpose. So this is not, I give my life to Christ, now I can live my life for myself. It is, I give my life to Christ, and now I live for Him, for whatever He will have me do. This is what this second test is about. This has nothing to do with heaven or hell. It has to do with what sort of rewards are you going to receive when you get to heaven. See, this is a common mistake. A lot of people think that everyone that dies, that has placed their faith in Jesus, will get to heaven and immediately will be given a crown, will be sent to a nice mansion, you know, maybe sent in a golf cart, you know, so they don't have to walk. You know, everyone will get a nice reward. Uh, that's not what the Bible says. See, the second judgment, it is explained uh, by, by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 in very clear detail. So let's analyze verses 10 to 15. Um, <clears throat> it says this, but each one should build with care. You're going to see in these verses that Paul is going to compare you living your life as if you were building a house. And it says you have to build with care. You have to be careful how you live. Why? Because the tendency of the world is to live in a different way than what God wants them to live. So you have to be careful because if you just follow the crowd, you're going to go in the wrong direction. So it says, you should build with care for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. It says, okay, the foundation that you need to have for your house needs to be Jesus Christ, okay? And it's the only valid foundation. Uh, you have to build on top of him, okay? Now, if you do that, you already passed the first test. And you're going to move on to the second test. Look at what he says in verse 12. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their works will be shown for what it is. Because the day, did you notice that the word day is with capital D? It's talking about that day, the day that you're going to face 
God in judgment. He says, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. So see, what, what he's saying is this. You're going to build over that foundation. But the material that you use to build is your choice. You're going to decide what are you going to be doing. How are you going to be building? With what material will you build? And you can use gold, silver, costly stones, or you can use wood, hay, or straw. The problem is, it says very clearly that this is going to be tested with fire. And look what happens when this, you know, when it's tested with fire. Verse 14, if what, if, uh, what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. So saying, if, if your works remain after the fire, you will get a reward, but if it gets burned up, you will not. What happens when you build something with wood, hay, or straw if you light it on fire? It burns up. It gets consumed. There is no works to be, you know, showing for your life, you know. But if, if you pass gold, silver, costly stones through fire, they get refined. All their imperfections, you know, get destroyed and they stay, they remain forever. So the question is, how are you living your life? What material are you choosing to build? Are you pursuing temporary things? Or are you truly going after those eternal things that will make any difference in the kingdom of God. See, there's going to be people that are going to, you know, to get to enter into heaven, but it says there as one escaping through the flames. You know, what does that mean? <clears throat> Have you seen the news about the fires that were like in California burning entire neighborhoods? Have you seen those news? Um, the news reports are very interesting because usually the, the, the reports will come to places that were completely burned up, you know, a few days after, and they will talk to the survivors. Usually they're standing in front of their houses, and they will ask them, what happened? You know, and they'll say, like, well, you know, they were telling us that we were saved, the, the fire was miles away, but all of a sudden the wind changed, you know, it, it, and, and all of a sudden the fire came in our direction, but by the time we noticed, the house was burning. We didn't even realize when it happened, but when I looked, it was all full of smoke and it was burning. I had to just run out to save my life. Many of them left all their belongings. They left their cars in the garage. Some of them left their pets behind. You know, they just ran as fast as they could with nothing. And you know what's interesting? When they show their house, because they usually say, like, this is where they used to live, the only thing you can see is the foundation. That's what stays. So if your foundation of Jesus Christ, yes, you will enter into heaven. But if your works were not built over eternal things, you will be as one who escaped through the flames and you will get no reward. But there will be others who will enter into heaven and they'll get to hear those beautiful words, well done, good and faithful servant. Come into the gladness of your Lord. Come and enjoy your reward. So the question is, what has eternal value? What are we supposed to be pursuing that, that matters most, that will be there in eternity. There's only two things, God and people. You remember when they asked Jesus Christ, what are the two most important commandments? 
what he answered it. You have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And you have to love your neighbor as yourself. And interestingly, he said, all the law and the prophets hang on those two things. Which means if you are loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself, you're fulfilling the whole Bible. Why would he say that? Because those are the only two eternal things. The only things that have eternal value. Now, how do we pursue those things? Well, I think that that is the subject of many of the messages that we preach, you know, here. But you need to understand and breathe, you know, what it means. See, the reality is that the Bible tells us that there are two sets of instructions that you will get from God. Some of those are general instructions. That means they are for all of us. We are all supposed to follow his commandments. But there, there's also specific instructions. Instructions that will have specifically for you the good works that he planned for you from the beginning of time. He will tell you those personally. The thing is, in order for you to start hearing from God the specific instructions, you first have to submit to God with the general instructions. So the more you submit to God, you know, the closer you get to him, the more you get to know him through reading the scriptures, through prayer, through meditation, the more he's going to start talking directly to you and he's going to start telling you what he wants you to do. And I'm going to tell you what he's going to tell you. He's going to tell you, go and love on these people. Go and love on those people. Go and serve with those people. Because what he wants you to do is to go and love onto people, serve people with the specific purpose of being able to tell them about what God did for them. About the fact that he already passed that first test for them. So that they may get to know him, love him, and then start living for him. And then they will also get to pass the second test. See, when you start investing your time following God and loving on people, you are going to be working on what matters most, what's important for eternity. But see, the reason why I think that a lot of people really don't do this, don't, don't live for it, don't go for it with all their hearts, is because the concept of eternity oftentimes is not that clear. So today I'm, I'm going to do an illustration for you that um, I will confess I stole it completely from Francis Chan, okay? But it just proves this point so well that we're going to do it. Thanks, man. See, there is this rope that, there it is. We all know that the rope ends somewhere back there. But I want you to try to imagine that this rope is eternal. Uh, imagine that it goes back there through the stage and out the back door and then it goes up through the atmosphere, gets out of the earth and passes all the planets, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, you know, it goes out of our solar system and then it gets out of the Milky Way and it keeps going, reaches the next galaxies and keeps going and going until it gets to the edge of the universe and passes that and it keeps going and then it gets to God and it stays with God and it goes eternally. That's his rope, okay? All right. This rope represents your timeline of life. This is how long your spirit is going to live eternally. This orange part represents your time here on earth. Life here on earth, life somewhere else. Okay? Now, this is what the world tries to convince you of. The world says, okay, you, you're born here, 
and then you're going to have to start learning certain things, how to walk, how to speak, and then you're going to go to school, and you better start applying yourself because by the time you get to junior high and high school, if you do really good like around here, then you're going to get to enter an excellent college like around here, okay? And then you're in college, right? So now, now you better apply yourself in college because if you do really good in college, you're going to get out of college, and you're going to get a beautiful job like here, okay? So there's, you have a good job, and you better start saving a lot of money and putting money away for your retirement because you're going to be able to have a nice house, you know, and you may be getting married, and you're going to have kids, and your kids are going to grow, and then finally they're going to get out of the house, and, and you're going to be able to enjoy life. So if you do all these things right, your life is going to be great, and you're going to be able to relax like around here, <laughs> right? And then you're going to spend the rest of all this time enjoying life. All this time. <laughs> right? See, the, the reality is you don't even know if you're going to make it to here. You have no idea. No one has tomorrow guaranteed. You don't even know that even if you put all that effort into everything in school and work and save, you don't know what the quality of your life is going to be here. You have no clue. We all know how life can change in an instant. How all the plans that you made and all the effort that you thought you were building, you know, for this part of your life, all of a sudden get crushed with one phone call, with one diagnosis, you know, with one accident. You have no idea. But there is one thing that we know for a fact, that if you apply yourself throughout all this period of time, thinking of all this period of time, you know exactly what you're going to get all this time. This is what Jesus spends his life talking about to us if you read the Gospels. He says, don't focus here. You know, don't try to pile up treasures for here. They'll stay here. What happens on earth stays on earth unless you're thinking of this part. So think of this part. Because it is for sure that if you pursue eternal things all this time, that is going to seem like nothing when you get there, you're going to get a beautiful eternity in the presence of your God. That is the reality. Now, the question that is going to pop into your head is going to be, how am I living my life? But that is not the right question. The right question is, for whom am I living my life? Are you living your life for you? Or are you living your life for him? Are you truly living your life for him? I know that you have heard that question many times, you know. Well, people say, yeah, I've heard that, you know. For who are you living your life? I know you've heard that a lot of times, but you know what else I know? It is rare the person that answers that question honestly. Actually, a lot of people cannot even answer it honestly because they cannot see the reality. We are deceived. You know, you are completely deceived. You may think that you're living it for God when in reality you're living it for yourself. You're pursuing what you want. You want to live the way you want. You just hang the God sign on it. It's a godly pursuit, you know, and you think you're living 
for him, but you're truly living for you. See, the only way that you can honestly find out who you're living for is if you go to him in prayer and ask him, Lord, open my eyes. Help me analyze my life under the light of your word and show me how I'm living my life. It is a shattering experience, I can tell you that. It changes you. Because I remember when I had that conversation with God and I said, Father, am I living for you? Show me. And I started going to the scriptures and meditating about how I was living my life. And finally God talked to me and said, be nice if you gave me more than 10, 15 minutes a day in a prayer before every meal. If you thought of me before you make your decisions and not after you made them to ask me to bless them. Be nice if you were really living for what I want you to do instead of what you think I want you to do. And then I realized I wasn't really living for him. I was living for myself. And I know that some of you are hearing these words and are thinking, man, I wish John was here, you know. He's talking to you. He's asking you to go to him for him to open your eyes. See, what we truly need to do is make a commitment with him and say, Father, I truly want to live for you. I only want to say what you want me to say. I only want to do what you want me to do. I want to live how you want me to live. Please show me. And if you go with an honest heart, he's going to start showing you. Now, you know, I, I preached this message some time ago in Cancun, and I know what's going to happen with some of you. Some of you are going to walk out of here, start thinking of these things, and you're going to think, yeah, whatever. You know, you're going to be angry with me, thinking, yeah, 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 I know. I have to be perfect. Have you noticed I have never once said the word perfection? This is not about perfect. Perfection was the first test. Jesus did perfection for you and for me. You know what the second test is about? Faithfulness. Being faithful to God all the time, in every area, faithful. When things get tough, faithful. In your marriage, you know, love your wife and be willing to die for her as Christ died for the church, faithful. You know, submit to the leadership of your husband, faithful. As a parent, be the person that you want your kids to grow up to be, faithful. In your finances, Faithful. Everywhere, faithful. And you know when, when it becomes really hard? When things get dark. When there are problems, when there are struggles, when, when, when loved ones get sick, when your kids have problems. That's when it's the hardest. And this is why it's so important that you remember exactly what Jesus Christ did in the cross. And remember what happened in that Garden of Gethsemane because at the darkest time, what he said was, I would rather not go through this, but I want to be faithful. Your will, not mine. We need to be faithful all the time. Every day will turn into weeks, will turn into months, and sometimes into years. And when you get to that point when you think, for how long, oh Lord, just keep being faithful. You know why? Because when you least expect it, he will produce fruitful. All of a sudden, when you realize 
fruitful in your marriage? Fruitful. With your children, when you start seeing them grow and grow as healthy people, fruitfulness. See, it is amazing to me the amount of people that come to church and, and, and want to talk to me. It's like, my mate left me. What do I do? Tell me. How do I please God? So they want to come and do one act, one thing, and they think that God is going to wave his wand and marriage solved. Faithfulness. We need to be faithful. And I know that some of you might be thinking, you have no idea how much I have suffered, the struggles that I have to go through, for how long I have waited, I can guarantee you, regardless of what you have gone through, at the end of this tiny thing, when you get here and face him, and he calls you good and faithful servant, it's going to be worth it. And you're going to be glad for that Mexican weirdo who came to tell you. <laughs> you need to be faithful. 